What is up, friends and family? It's time for another episode of Hype Is My Superpower. I'm one of your hosts, Steve Storman in Brooklyn, New York. Joining me via the miracles of modern technology all the way from Santa Barbara, California, it's my good buddy, Will Freeland. Will, tell me about it, man. What's good? Hey, just chilling. I've I've spent the last week charging through like any book that I have that does or could come before Empire. Yeah. Um, and so incoming was awesome. Reading incoming last week. Oh, good. Really just like get that. Okay, there's a trailer. reference here. There's a reference here. There's a reference here. Okay, let me go find that book. Let me go find this book. Okay, cool. We're good. <laughs> yeah, um, nice. So yeah, so it's been it's been fun. It's been a fun jump around the 616. And uh other than that, you know, work is work, life is life. Thankfully, nothing major to report. Uh, good, good. Which is a good and a bad thing, I guess. <laughs> right. I can only make moves so many times a year. And uh, this last week is not one of those times. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to, nice to, yeah, pace yourself a little bit. I, exactly. I, I had an eventful week. I went down to Miami for my cousin's wedding. Saw a lot of family who I haven't seen in uh, a lot of them, a decade or more. Wow. Or, or close to. Yeah. It was really good. This is uh, a bunch of cousins who, you know, were kids when I last saw them and now (laughs) they're now they're adults. And, you know, it's kind of this cool thing of like establishing an adult relationship an adult connection with, uh, with these people and kind of figuring it out for yourself, you know, who they are and, and, and what, uh, what kind of relationship you want to have. And kind of big part of my post COVID realization is just, you got to reach out to the people who mean something to you and you got to put in the work to make those connections. And so, yeah, I'm trying yeah, and, and it's rough. Yeah. But it felt really top, good. To, yeah. It felt really good to be there and, and to do that. So cool. that's where I'm at. Loki just ended this week. Yeah. I haven't seen episodes five or six yet. I'm sorry. Five, that, no, you're good. Immediately. I liked five more than six. Okay. Uh, but now that I've had some time to sit on six, I'm liking it more when I'm not excited about is i'm less excited about the future of the mcu interesting okay Uh, well let's let's talk about it on a pod once i've finished uh five and six hopefully i'll get to those this week not sure i may or may not also see black widow so we might have several things to talk about have you seen it yet i did see it oh okay Um, sweet yeah uh excited to to get your take on it okay well, I'll definitely see it sooner or later, but uh, may not get to it this week. We'll see. Absolutely. <sighs> well, with that out of the way, yeah, let's talk some comics. Let's talk some comics. Start us off, man. Okay, so for this last week, as I said, I was uh, I'm basically going through like every other page of incoming and getting <laughs> a little check in of where I should be leading up to Empire. Right. So in incoming, the two pages of Miles Morales and Spider-Man. Miles talks about he's dealing with some guy named Ultimatum that is currently kind of the big bad quote unquote for Miles right now. So Miles Morales is from the right. Ultimate Marvel Universe. Right. He took on the mantle of Spider-Man after the ultimate Peter Parker died. Right. Uh, and he got his own powers. And thanks to the events of Secret War, Secret, Secret War, um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, he, always have to be careful with your plurals. Seriously. After Secret War, he got brought over into 616. And so from there, 
he had four volumes of adjectiveless Spider-Man. Okay. And then after that, he got a title called Miles Morales. And this is the fourth volume of Miles Morales, and it's called Ultimatum. So when he's saying, yeah, I'm dealing with this guy called Ultimatum, I'm going to assume that Ah. I should read the book called Ultimatum. (laughs) (laughs) So so, uh, I've got that. And then last week I talked about in Spider-Man, there's that casino and has the place where you can place bets on different superhero fights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, And one of those has Strike Force fighting Ghost. And Strike Force Volume 2 has Ghost on the cover. So I read that and I had forgotten that I did read volume one. I think it was like right before we started doing this. Okay. It was very forgettable. Strike Force is another mobile game tie-in? No, that is specifically Marvel Strike Force. This is a team called Strike Force. And the... Okay, you'll forgive me for being confused. No, absolutely. So the, um, the game... The team, they work for Strike and it's, you know, S.T. Right, a shield shield style acronym. Yes. And this is not that because this is not an acronym. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so uh, I read the second volume of that, which basically bookends the 12 issue. Sorry, nine issue story that they were telling. Okay. And it ties in a little bit with Deadpool being King Deadpool on Staten Island with the Monster Island. Right. So there's a check-in for that. And then we both read X-Men Fantastic Four. We sure did. Which I I didn't write down notes, but there's so many little things that stood out to me. So I'm excited to talk about that. I wrote down um, some notes. So excellent. I'll, I'll lead the, uh, the, the recap. Appreciated. And then there's two books of Outlawed. So Incoming goes straight into Outlawed. And Outlawed is a champion's quote-unquote crossover event with Miss Marvel Outlawed. And I am halfway through Champions Outlawed, and I haven't read Miss Marvel. However, okay. in reading Outlawed, I found out that it is happening basically at the same time as Empire. So I'm caught up. Okay. So I'm excited. So it's good. Uh, what did you read? I read, like you, the X-Men Fantastic Four miniseries. Mm-hmm. But mostly, I am going to be talking about the first chapter of this novel, Nomon by Nick Harkaway. G-N-O-M-O-N. And yeah, I really, really, I'm not done with the book yet. I wanted to finish it completely before talking about it. But I'm still a couple hundred pages away, so... I'll be sort of talking about this book for the next at least several weeks of the pod. It's dense. It's <laughs> it's thick. a lot. It's, it's a lot. It's uh, wow. yeah. about it's about seven hundred pages. So cool. Yeah. Awesome, man. I'm stoked. It'll be uh, it's, it'll be fun to have a little bit of non Marvel conversation a bit. Yeah, I think I, I really need the palate cleanser. <laughs> <laughs> You know, we're calling this up, this uh, podcast hype is my superpower. And I just have no hype for, for nineties X-Men right now. Yeah. None whatsoever. (laughs) Oh man. (laughs) But a lot of hype for this book. So let's get into it. Absolutely. Okay. The road to empire, the road to empire, which is funny because there's an actual book called road to empire. 
Yes, it's right there. Okay, the road to the road to empire. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's the empire catch up. There we go. So Miles Morales, volume four, entitled Ultimatum. It's happening around the same time as what's going on in Outlawed. So that was fun. There's just little references here and there. It generally, the main takeaway is we're kind of dealing with Miles not being from this reality. And come to find out that he doesn't realize that. Oh. And I guess they haven't realized this this entire time, which is kind of interesting because I think what the reason there is is because him and his supporting cast were brought in by Molecule Man as opposed to others who have dimensionally hopped over of their own accord. Right. So when they're setting the reality of 616, they basically rewrote this Miles to be the Miles from 616. However, there's a crossover called Spider-Men where Mysterio, of all people, finds a way to jump dimensions and he discovers the ultimate world. And so he's going back and forth between 616 and 1610. And then so because it's Mysterio... Our Peter Parker gets involved, and so he follows Mysterio into 1610, and he comes across Miles Morales being Spider-Man, and he finds out that that Peter Parker is dead, blah, blah, blah. And so they have their little jaunt and then destroy Mysterio's dimension hopping machine. And so the last scene is Peter Parker being like, huh, I wonder if we have a Miles Morales. And he like Google searches Miles Morales, and he goes, oh, and then they just leave it. And no. so, and they haven't touched it since huh. until here. <laughs> and so we finally get, so we have Miles Morales dealing with an ultimate universe version of Green Goblin, which was very different from Norman Osborn Green Goblin. Well, 616 Green Goblin. He's a giant green monster with horns and he's got fire powers and fire breathing and stuff. He's not just a man in a suit and a glider kind of thing. Sure, yeah. Uh, it turns out he's being a henchman for this guy who's called Ultimatum. And Ultimatum has kidnapped Miles Morales a couple of times and done experiments on him, trying to figure out what's going on with him. Sure. And Ultimatum is wearing, he's got a Captain America shield. He has the jumpsuit that Giant Man wore in the Ultimates, and he has like Stark Tech boots and gauntlets. And it's the like kind of a the bulkier Stark Tech design from the Ultimate Universe. And okay. so he's very much like the Ultimates amalgam, but in 616. So it's very strange. Hmm. And uh, we find out that he has taken some pieces from 166 and he's using that stuff that tech as his like villain getup and he's kidnaps Maz Morales and does experiments on him and then he kidnaps Aaron Davis who's his uncle who is the prowler from 16 from 1610 right. yeah yeah uh, and he discovers that they have very special energy and they're but they're not from this reality yada yada and then in the big confrontation when um he kidnaps miles again he's like yeah i know who you are because you have my memories i'm miles morales and he takes off his mask and you just have like an adult lighter skinned miles morales huh because he's like yeah your oldest memory is like when you're five going to the carnival blah blah blah." he's like how do you know that he's like because those are my memories and so 
somewhere in the process when Miles and his family got shunted into yeah. 616, his memories, his real, quote unquote reality got overwritten to whatever the 616 Miles Morales went through. Yeah. And so adult Miles Morales is shaping up to be a crime lord, your typical bad guy, cookie okay. cutter approach. Sure. And he's building, or he has a dimension tech device to send Spider-Man Miles back into his reality, which I'm not convinced that that reality still exists. Right. I'm very much under the impression that it doesn't. Right. But it is what it is. Captain America gets involved. Superhero fight, superhero fight, clones, because it's Spider-Man, clones everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) But it ends with them winning the day and ultimatum dying off screen. So we'll see if he comes back. And we also have Aaron Davis dying off screen. We'll see if that sticks. Right. It's it's a very convenient storytelling <laughs> piece. One thing I did notice is back when there was a lot of jumping back and forth between Ultimate and Regular, the Ultimate Universe uses proper case right. uh, in their speech. Right, right, yeah. And then everything in 616 is all uppercase. Like, that's just the font that they use. Right. But um, they... They changed that eventually in 616, right? Or for a lot of books. No. Okay. I believe we're still all uppercase. Interesting. Um, okay. I'm just kind of flipping through. Yeah, everything is uppercase still. But so that's how you could tell where they're from when you have two on the same like yeah. page. And it, I always thought that was kind of cool. But in this, I realized that they don't do that anymore. Hmm. Maz Morales and his family and Aaron Davis and all that, they all have fully uppercase yeah. text now. Interesting. Anyway, yeah, but nothing wild really happened. It was more just Miles closing the ultimatum chapter. Because that was that's been his like off-screen daddy for a while. And yeah. then so we have Strike Force, which is really a pretty forgettable story. Okay. Um it deals with Fallout from War of the Realms. There's a race of dark elves from Svartalfheim that are kind of like vampires. Just speaking their name and their race creates this telepathic fungus that makes it so they can take over your body. It's the whole thing. So it basically, they needed a, reason, a way to create this team. <laughs> um, this team consisting of Spider-Woman, Angela, Damon Hellstrom, Spectrum, Wiccan, Winter Soldier, and Blade. That's an odd combination it's of people. It's a very odd combination. Yeah. And they were put together really by the Vridi, which is what the race are called. They were chosen at random, basically. Blade has dealt with them in the past. And so as soon as he saw one of the crime scenes or whatever, he was like, I know what this is. He reports back to the Avengers. He's like, I need you to trust me because I can't tell you any specifics because then you'll be infected. I know about this. Let me deal with this. Sure. So they're like, fine, we're hands off. And so he goes and recruits the people that he believes will be helpful outside of. So like he recruits Damon Hellstrom and Wiccan and they're like unholy powers. Sure. But anyway, there's this other side plot with those dealing with Carla Sofen, Moonstone. And okay, yeah, <laughs> and she hires Ghost to help her do some data stuff. It's hence, not- hence the bit from incoming. Yeah. We got there, we got there. Yeah, <laughs> Ghost, Ghost is there. <laughs> the ghost fight happens. 
Yeah. And so really the only takeaway is that Angela likes Blade. And so she's hanging out with him. And by likes, I mean, like, she appreciates his warrior sense sure. and willingness to do what is what is necessary kind of a thing. Sure. Because he's a cold-blooded vampire killer. Yeah. He's the a team, bad mother. Shut your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> Just talking like about black exploitation vampire hunters. So you can bad. dig it. The, the blackulas. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it ends with the, with the team disbanding, Angela and Blade hanging out, and Carla Sofen is now an inmate at Ravencroft. Okay. And so that will come back in King and Black when uh, Noel gets Right, there. yeah. So that's a whole thing. Oh, the Vridai now are residents of Monster Island. Okay. That's the Deadpool tie-in. Um, <laughs> but I don't like this version of Angela that much. She's kind of, quote-unquote, devolved into mm. just another fighter. I mean, so she's Freya and Odin's firstborn. Right, and or sorry firstborn daughter because i don't know between her and tear who's <laughs> older <laughs> now that tear is established as the oldest son i don't know and then uh when she was in heaven in spawn and image <laughs> um <laughs> she's an angel without wings and so something has always been weird about her but right. anyway when they introduce her in 616 and they bring heaven here and make it at the 10th realm blah 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 that all happened in original sin right um, she was very much like nothing for nothing. Everything must be a trade. Like she's walking in a park and caught a ball from some kids. And the kid came over and asked for her back. And she was like, nothing for nothing. What will you trade me to get your ball back? Kind of thing. <laughs> um, sure. And like, she was very strict and every conversation revolved around that. If anyone ever did her a favor, she was like, nothing for nothing. How can I pay you back? And sure. like, that's bit, that was like kind of like a defining characteristic. And now that she's been on two teams now, it's just not even a thing anymore. She was just, on the guardians of the galaxy. She was the queen of hell for a little bit. Uh, um, and now, and then she was nine issues on strike force. They just don't do that anymore. That's a bummer. Sad. Yeah. Just um, it like, was just, you it have one you have one character trait and they're not even respecting that. Right. And and that's kind of the thing. It's like it was such a unique, it's very monotone, and I get that. <laughs> right. But it was such a unique defining characteristic that I wish that she'd kept that going. But yeah. one could argue that as, as she, as spent she spends more time, more time on yeah. Asgard or on Midgard, Midgard and yada yada yada, then you know chills out a little bit the things that she grew up on for thousands of socializes years. <laughs> with us yeah, yeah so yeah. yeah so it's like it, there's there's an argument for it i just miss it yeah um again we want to have all the characters feel like they are distinct from all the other characters and there right. are so many dang characters yes <laughs> exactly and to the point where we have a gog a magog and a magog and <laughs> like <laughs> Uh, we have a and a, and a, man and a yeah. dark hen. And right. <laughs> we yeah. get confused regularly over which gauntlet this is. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, oh my gosh. Yeah, exactly. So I like, I get it, but it's, it's, it is what it is. So the next thing I've read, I can talk about champions and the outlawed thing, or we can get into fan for and X. Let's go champions and the outlawed thing first. Cool. All right. So. The most basic boil down of what Outlawed is, is it is a Superhero Registration Act 
but for people under 21. Yeah. And so (laughs) the law is referred to as Kamala's law. Great. um, Always great to have something like that named after yourself. I know. I feel so bad for her. Yeah. (laughs) But so basically. And for listeners, this is in reference to Kamala Khan, AKA Ms. Marvel. Exactly. So what happened is at Cole's academic high school, there is kind of the Marvel version of like Malala and that girl that's been speaking out about global warming. Oh, Greta Thunberg. Greta. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, So it's kind of the Marvel version. Malala Yousafzai. Yeah. 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 So Greta and Malala. So she is, she looks to be Middle Eastern as well. Mm -hmm. Just by character design, you know, darker skin. Sure. Straight dark hair. Yeah. She's the 16 year old who is going to speak at this global summit conference that is for young people. Um, Mm. And she's been getting death threats. And so the champions are kind of on prem, keeping an eye out, making sure that she doesn't get hurt. And then out of literally nowhere, a giant dragon shows up. Oh. And Rex face, the champions try to get involved and try to stop the dragon. Roxon is showing up because the champions is an all like oh yeah, sorry. Kid team, right? Like an all yeah, young. So champions team. sold themselves as the next generation superhero team because mm-hmm. all of the adults, as in the Avengers, seem to be spending all their time fighting each other and not fighting <laughs> the bad guys. Sure. Champions are all about the new age superhero. Sure. Um, and so it's all children. It's like Miles Morales. It's Nadia Pym, the Wasp. It's Ironheart. It's Sam Alexander Nova. And over and, the over and the Kamala volumes, Khan. It's a real all star team of the. It's a it's an amazing team. Yeah. And almost every volume they recruit or introduce a new member. Oh, geez. Um, like they've created a handful of new superheroes uh, uh-huh. from all around the world to join the champions. And like the champions is a global network at this point. Wow. Um, okay. Dust is a member. Cool. Um, I like Dust. Uh, Young Cyclops was a member when he was still oh, around. Oh, cool. It's a great team and it's yeah. so much fun to watch. And yeah. they have like a strong social media presence. Uh, <laughs> like nice. they have an app. You know, if there's something going down, you can reach out and some strike team that's close can go get involved and help out. Like, cool. It's a, it's, it's a really awesome thing that they've got going on. So champions are keeping an eye out. Roxxon basically sends a bunch of soldiers at to Cole's Academy to quote unquote deal with this uh, diplomat lady and a dragon shows up and they're like, where the hell would Roxxon get a dragon? And they're like, <laughs> hey, yeah. So you remember that War of the Realms thing? And I said that I was in some place fighting some like fire dragons with cinder i think this might have been when they when roxon found themselves a dragon <laughs> um <laughs> and kamala in her civilian clothes is alone with the diplomat to try and save her during the fight viv vision okay miss marvel is not outside to like be their leader and so sure. nobody's making any direct decisions viv vision gets impatient and she's like f this Let's go. And she starts getting kind of just out of control and enraged. She's go- she's going for this charge to the dragon. And then at the same time, Power Man, who is not Luke Cage, but sure. he has chi powers. And the more he knows about the history of where he's at, the more mm. chi he can. Um, Interesting. 
he can he can channel which is really cool and so he has these goggles that give him like a wikipedia run down of oh, whatever wherever he's at so he's kind of he's borderline an iron fist and uh luke cage in one it's it's pretty fun so that anyway, is cool there's another champion so paraman's there and there's no champion uh his name is uh pinpoint and he can create portals for them to get around. Sure. So he's like, all right, pinpoint, open up a portal right in front of the dragon. I'm going to, I'm going to power up a fist and I'm going to shoot it through uh, the portal. And he says, fine. Okay, let's do it. But there's a whole bunch of miscommunication between the flyers and the guys on the ground trying to deal with the dragon. Viv is over it. So she's flying, flying up. She ends up right in front of the portal and between the portal and the dragon, the chief fist hits Viv and it interacts wrong with her, like synthesoid right yeah she starts going berserk Uh and green everywhere explosion explosions yeah losing control yeah and they have to call an audible on the fly and ironheart and nadia put something together to basically hit her at the atomic level (laughs) and it takes her out huge explosion takes out the dragon the explosion hits a building next to Cole's Academy. Uh, um, Viv Vision seems like she dies. And like it's tears. Like it never shows Ironheart's face when she's in her armor, but like they show her face and shows that she's just bawling, like as she's like putting this plan together and enacting it. And Janet yeah. her, and Nadia feels terrible. And it's just, it's it's not a good time all around. Yeah. Um, in all of this, the tower falls on cole's academy and kamala expands over the diplomat to try to save her she gets knocked out diplomat is saved and she comes out and she's being interviewed she's like you guys need to find one of the youth de- delegates her name was her name is kamala she saved me i wouldn't be here without her blah 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 kamala is in like the hospital healing up and because of this event and it was so televised because it's this like you know international thing this senator patrick uses that to really push through their agenda that they're now calling kamala's law and it basically says that anyone under the age of 21 is no longer allowed to engage in superhero activity Mm. so they have a task force uh (laughs) that enforces this Uh uh-huh it's an acronym it it is called cradle (laughs) I'm not, I can't make this up. So (laughs) (laughs) cradle looking for all the young superheroes stands for child hero reconnaissance and disruption law enforcement. Child hero being one word. Yeah. Child hero being a dash. Oh, so, so (laughs) when they, when they say that to a champions meeting, squirrel girls, like, do we just ignore the H or <laughs> shouldn't it be tradle? <laughs> and they're just like, shut up. It's not the time. <laughs> but uh, so now cradle is a thing. One of the task forces is being headed up by Dum Dum Dugan. Mm. Some of the supers they have involved are like justice and speedball. You have a press conference or a court hearing with uh, Captain America fighting for the children, basically, you know, him saying, you know, when I was their age, I was applauded for my desire to fight for my country and fight for the little guy. Mm-hmm. Why should this be any different? Right. Um, 
And so you have the first issue of Champions. You've got cradle agents and task force agents at like every school now. You have kids getting in trouble for wearing Champions merch because it's like it's basically supporting like a gang symbol at this point. You have kids getting pulled into the office for that kind of stuff. Right. Uh, They're going all out hard with this cradle thing. And then you have Kamala from her hospital bed getting into costume and putting out this viral video that's saying, like, we do not support this. Champions are still strong, even if it makes us the outlaw generation. So (laughs) now you have outlawed. And so you have this team meeting of all the champions trying to decide what to do, trying to have this united front, but you have some of them being like, you didn't, you don't speak for us. Like some of us have public identities. And so Mm -hmm. our homes are getting raided every single day. Some of us do support, but then even socially, it's funny, everything that they're showing is all youth. There's no adults taking sides so far. There's been super outspoken young people leading rallies both for and against Kamala's law and like fights breaking out between the two of them. You just, the only adults that have been involved so far are like task force agents. And even on top of that, you have some policemen letting Spider-Man go because they know he's a hero and other policemen being like, the fuck is your problem? Like, sure. We're supposed to bring them in. (laughs) Right. But it's just like, dude, He's a here like, <laughs> yeah. what do you expect me to do here? Um, For sure. And so I've read three of the five issues of Champions, and I've read Outlaw number one, and I haven't read Miss Marvel Outlawed yet. So okay. I'm still going through it. But in those first three issues, you have you're following mainly Ironheart, Miss Marvel, Nova, and Spider Man on the run. The four of them are pretty special. One, because they're original champions, but mm-hmm. two, they're legacy heroes. Sure. They're, oh, sorry. There is an out for the young superheroes. If they get an official superhero sponsor to like <laughs> take them under their wing, oh, then they can still fight crime. Okay. Huh. But for the four of them, uh, they have not been officially sponsored by people yet. But like Falcon, Joaquin, he has been officially sponsored by Sam Wilson. And so he's able to be out there. But then you have others that just that don't have that. A lot of teen heroes that they've introduced just within Champions are their own hero. They don't have someone that they've inherited the title from. So yeah, yeah. It's interesting. But uh, uh, issue three ended with a raid on where they're camping out and adult man Cyclops shows up. And he's like, these heroes are under the uh, official embassy protection of, of Krakoa. And oh. the act on them is an oh. act of aggression against Krakoa. Are you oh. sure you want to do this? Okay. Um, and it ends with Psyche being like, once a champion, always a champion. Because he remembers being kid Cyclops. The way they wrote, the way they <laughs> made it so <laughs> that the time traveling X-Men still happened. but also shunted them back into and do their full stories. Right. Jean, the two Jean Greys, adult and young Jean Grey, figured out a way to lock the memories with a time lock. And so, <laughs> so, the- <laughs> so memories are locked. And then when they get to that issue in their adult lives, their memories come back. And so right. they remember everything they've done as children. Right. <laughs> In, in current sure. 616 because yeah. that makes sense but right. anyway so it, it makes it so it didn't 
completely not happen, but right. you can still have the consequences from et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. Okay. Um, and so you have adult Cyclops remembering his time as field leader of the champions. And so as they're going through all this, he reaches out and also has dust show up with him um, okay. because she was a champion too. And so right. it's basically champions helping champions. They're just, you know, mutants and uh, under a national, a whole new nation. So it worked out, but anyway, so this is written by Al Ewing. He's doing a really good job of expressing like desperation in these kids. Huh? Cool. Like it's a heavy read. It feels like a heavier read than civil war was. Wow. And I feel like it's because like with the adult heroes, like it's rare that you see them like weak or like not knowing what to do or like sure. in a moment of yeah. crisis. Yeah. Those yeah, kinds yeah. of things only happen like an issue at a time. Sure. Whereas these guys, they're, they're going through the right channel. They're, they're trying everything that logically they could come up with. Right. And like, it's just nothing. And like, you see their spirits just like wow. falling further and further. Wow. It's, it's tough to read. And I don't know if like, <laughs> I don't know if I'm getting super empathetic in my old age or, <laughs> or if like somehow I identify with them about something that I'm going through in my life that I don't sure. even realize yet or like, or what, but it's not a light read at all for oh, me <laughs> cool that, that's that's uh, awesome yeah and so i'm really into it and then they had mentioned that they're trying to reach out to the avengers but they're dealing with something and in the background it has a picture of avengers and it has a picture of the supreme intelligence so <laughs> so i assume okay empire is happening at the same time as yeah Outlaw. yeah yeah um, which i will be able to confirm well one next week but um <laughs> i'll be able to confirm if no champions really show up in empire. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. And one of the like variant covers has like a bunch of the kids that are in six, one, six that, you know, are on like quote unquote watch lists. And there's a lot, <laughs> there's so many, like, you know, uh, like the entire power pack, there's like Kate Bishop, Hawkeye, um, yeah. squirrel girl, who apparently is under 21 still, um, <laughs> which just blows my mind. Cause she's hooked up with Wolverine at some point. Um, <laughs> do y'all do, do you not know this? No. It, so it's the only reason why it's Canon. And that I keep on bringing it up one, because it's, it was a conversation, but like in new Avengers, Jess and Luke are looking for a babysitter and they're both on the new Avengers team. So is Wolverine. Right. And they, they hire squirrel girl, squirrel right. girl shows up and she and Logan look at each other and squirrel girls like, should we just agree to keep this professional? And he goes, yeah. And they're like, okay, it's, it's literally two speech bubbles. And you're like, what the hell else could have happened? Yeah. <laughs> Other than the two of you just legit hooked up. It hasn't happened on screen. It has wow. not been referenced since, but it is legitimately one wow. of the only things I think about when I think of Score Girl. <laughs> I mean, and this was before a lot of like more recent Squirrel Girl characterization and like. Right. Yeah. So. I mean, because she's been in comics for like 40 years or something. And I feel like she's been de aged. Yeah. Recently, Definitely. ever since she got her solo title. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Cause like even now, 
if she's under 21, <laughs> right. like, when did they hook up? Anyway, it, <laughs> it's, it's not worth diving into at this point. But so she's one. Amadeus Cho is another one. They sure. even have a picture of Valeria on here. Oh, and that's going to be a whole other thing if they right. if if Cradle gets real involved, especially um, after you know. Well, we're about to talk about the yeah. F- Fantastic Force uh, X Men uh-huh. special, but real protective of their kids over there in the Richards clan. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, and they, I mean they've just got some real power players, and especially totally. people who have been in the spotlight for the last few years. Yeah, so, I question how long. Kamala's Law is really going to be in sure. effect. They're running it so hard that I don't feel like it's going to last. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. Cause like they're, they're going out of their way to violate as many like human rights uh-huh. uh, violations and stuff as possible just within the first three issues that I've read. Yeah. So like this has got to come to a head real quick. Totally. Um, but it is, it is interesting. I'm having a great time with it, but yeah, those are those three. I'll have, basically the end of the outlawed books for next pod. sweet so x-men fan four x-men fan four so the inciting incident for x-men fan four is twofold one is that krakoa is establishing itself as a mutant nation and you saw a preview of this in house of x powers of 10 but they are trying to get all the mutants and specifically all of the omega mutants onto krakoa and Franklin Richards is pretty much the only one who's not present. Franklin Richards, of course, being the son of Mr. Fantastic and the Invisible Woman, two members of the Fantastic Four. He has had extraordinary powers for really they ever. Well, they they were established to be at that sort of Omega level right around like right before Onslaught. Before that, it was known that he was a mutant. He had some sort of like prophetic dream power or some sort of thing that changed every couple issues. But yeah, the other inciting incident of this is that apparently, and you're going to have to catch me up on the backstory here. Franklin has once again been aged up to adolescence. Oh yeah. But, but his powers are now disappearing. Every time he uses them, he loses them. And he is on his way to losing his powers entirely. Yeah. So post secret wars, or Secret War, it ends with him creating new universes right? Uh, and sending out shades of Molecule Man to mm-hmm. the anchors, blah, blah, blah. They get a few hundred universes in, and then as they make these universes, they're using that as an excuse. They, okay, they being Reed, Sue, Franklin, and Val, they are using this as an excuse for like a family trip. And so they go and visit kind of these universes. And it creates a very weird setting but basically they realize one that franklin's powers are diminishing they've spent years jumping around these realities and so they've become teen like pre-teen age at this point well franklin is a teenager now and i think he's like 14 now or 13 and val is like 11 and these realities that he created have been starting, they started falling apart. So his powers have been diminishing after creating hundreds of new universes. Got you. Okay. 
Uh, and that's where we're at for that. Sure. So that's kind of what set it up. And the X-Men arrive, you know, saying it's time, you know, we're going to help Franklin get his powers back. And also it's time for him to, you know, come be a citizen. And in order to stop this from happening, Reed implanted a technology that masks the mutant gene and it keeps Franklin from being able to pass through a Krakoan gate into Krakoa. He ends up stowing away on the Marauder. Confirmed this happened, you know, while Kitty was still alive. This is a ways back in our reading. And in particular, Kitty and Franklin have a connection from a previous story, the 1987 miniseries, Fantastic Four versus X-Men. So he stows away the Fantastic Four, invades Krakoa, predictable fighting ensues, Doom inserts himself and says, hey, I got the tech, I can restore his powers. Everybody goes through with it and then they realize, oh, we're doing a big thing badly. There's a quick aside, which I'm sure we'll get into more about the source of extra dimensional energy that is related to all superpowers, which everyone else calls the God power, but doom calls the von doom particles (laughs) (laughs) and then they're attacked by these gigantic doombot sentinels there's also latverian mutants so the whole latverian sort of plot takes place actually on a separate island also in the pacific ocean called doom island which is latverian territory but outside of contiguous latveria proper so they're also trying to get these Latvian mutants back to Krakoa. It all kind of ends without a strong resolution on that plot. But um, there's a, a scene where Doom has these mutants in Doombot armor kind of masquerading as Doombots and to sort of trick the mutants into attacking and killing their own. Anyway, everything resolves and then... Charles erases the memory of the mutant gene blocker from Reed's mind. (laughs) (laughs) Man. Yeah. And there's just, there's so many little things that happen. And it's like, this feels like a side story. uh, Yeah. Very much to like address. Like, I feel like somebody at some point was just like, isn't Franklin a mutant? Right. And so they're cover like, our bases. Oh, gosh, yeah. Not, yeah, we should deal with that. And so, but at um, the same time, like, it's an interesting, like, fault line on uh-huh. this sort of Krakoan project. You know, if right. you are, it, it's the first time that we've really explored, like, well, what does a mutant's human parents have to say about this whole Krakoa thing? Because it's yeah. literally never been explored before this. Right. Like, I knew that it couldn't have any huge takeaways right then like franklin's going to be addressed but franklin's not going anywhere <laughs> right because he's still going to be in the fantastic four books so right because like, he's needed there yep yeah they, so, they get priority yeah but there are like conversation beats and plot points that they pull in or put in that i'm like how far are you going to go with this right keep this going what's going on well and this is a personal one because i've made such a stink about it before but when the marauder first shows up at krakoa freaking quentin choir says a vast me muties and i'm like man (laughs) maybe i need to just drop this i mean (laughs) this beauty thing (laughs) it's It's a play on a vast me mateys right 
and However, it's also you know different when you're reclaiming the slur for your own use and right <laughs> so it's like oh I, damn it um, I, I know your periodic affection for the n-word yeah. oh i know right um right so it's different when i use it so i guess it's one of those things that i just have to figure myself out on but um uh another one that stood out to me well because i didn't know why it happened but when franklin ran through the krakoa gate yeah he just went right through it instead of kitty hitting it like a wall right and then we come to find out that it's because franklin's mutant gene has been masked to look like human gene and so that says to me that humans just walk through it all the time Whereas like it doesn't uh, really rejected stop mutant is stopped. Where yeah, where specifically Kitty right. is specifically kept from coming in. Right. That is it's odd. not that it doesn't recognize her as a mutant, it's that yeah. it's keeping her out consciously. Yeah. Yeah. Because like when it first, first, first happened, I was like, ew, are they gonna like make her Deuce. not a mutant? Oh god, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, this is disgusting disgusting <laughs> but, but that's not what this is I'd right say, so that was just something that i noticed and i liked um something else was like the conversation when so reed is coming up zero for trying to quote unquote fix uh right. franklin and he kind of has a fit about it and he leaves and ben grim thing takes him to the diner and they talk and like Franklin has just like a very real conversation of just like, yeah. Do you think that he's doing that on per like conveniently right. doing that, not and, consciously and, doing it on purpose? And, and how is it that the only two problems he's never been able to fix are me and you? Yeah, referring to like, Franklin's he's... disappearing powers and thing being stuck as the thing. Yeah, and he's like Uncle Ben, like you're the muscle you've always been needed, and. I was getting to a point where I was outgrowing my place here in the family. And now that mm. my power is leaving, like, do you think he even wants to solve this? And like, it's, just, yeah. that's, that's a very real question. And yeah. Ben has his faith in, in right. Reed and he he's known Reed his whole life. Like I get it. Right. Um, but like, I kind of hope that gets explored more. Like that kind of totally. conversation doesn't get forgotten. Right. Totally. It's very true. Yeah. That's it's a very good, real. That's a good segue actually into the Fantastic Four versus X-Men story. Okay. If I can jump in with with yeah. that note. So there's not a ton there. They mentioned it in editorial captions in this story, mostly just as a way to establish that there is some sort of friendship or trust between Franklin and Kitty. So the story took place immediately after the mutant massacre. And okay. as part of the mutant massacre, several members of the X-Men were injured. Colossus was stuck in his armor form. Kitty was stuck in her intangible form. Kurt was in a coma. Colossus recovered more quickly. And Kitty and Kurt's injuries were sort of what led them to leaving the team and, and eventually founding Excalibur together. Um, ah. Yeah. So Kitty is, you know, she's stuck in tangible. She's in this tube. She's like getting more and more intangible like she's dissipating eventually the x-men are like we can't figure this out we need to go contact reed richards to see if he can fix it he can't uh, doom claims that he can and it's a very very similar overarching plot to this story but franklin visits her and keeps her company while she's stuck in this tube and she's intangible 
and they sort of develop a friendship through that. Franklin, of course, at that time being a very small child and having weird dreamlike powers. There's also the the thing that made me think of this when you're talking about Reed is an overarching and conflict in this 87 series is that Franklin has a bad dream about discovering Reed's college diary and that it would turn Reed into doom and he would kill all of the other X-Men and Fantastic Four. And they find the diary. In the diary, it leads you to believe that, that he got everybody zapped with cosmic rays on purpose, that he read Charles Xavier's writings about mutancy and saw that there was an upcoming conflict between superpowered individuals and baseline humans, and that there would need to be some sort of group of public do-gooders with superpowers to stop the overwhelming race war and civil rights concerns. And just so happens that they go into space, that there's a calculation, you know, a miscalculation as to cosmic rays that it seems unlikely could have passed Reed's notice. And they all get powers. And so everybody loses faith and trust in Reed. They're like, you did this to us on purpose. You never told us. You lied to us. He's like, it's not true. They all sorted it out by the end. But just as as sort of an ongoing theme for Reed and his trustworthiness, I thought that 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 was uh, noteworthy. Geniuses Uh, and their intentions. Right. The next note that I have is burst Will's bubble on God power techno babble. (laughs) I feel like this is the type of thing, because I know you, that you're going to want to make real, make canon, because it's a compelling explanation for a problem that has no other explanation and that they haven't gone after. And And from most people's perspective, never needed an explanation. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right, right. Yeah, I don't... so. And I could see this being the type of thing where it, it's just going to stick in your craw in future, you know, things where it's like, why aren't they ever talking about God power, you That's know, particles true. for like <laughs> every comic you read for the rest ah, of your life. So and I, I, I'm just going to tell you now, no one's ever going to use this again. Okay. <laughs> First of all. <laughs> You're probably right. <laughs> Second, the God particle is a hard sell for me only okay. because Reed is positing and this other Dr. Rachna cool is yeah. positing that all powers are right. coming from this God power. Right. That's too much. Well, like, but it's the explanation that you are creating an outrageous amount of energy through your body that yes. y- you can't Logically, possibly eat enough food for. Absolutely. Yeah. I yeah. get that. I get that. But like, <laughs> and so, you know, you think of someone like. But like that there would be a common thread between, between like all a pow- powers. Yeah. A mutant ah, power and a cosmic power. And that's, a, yeah. Yeah. See, that's where I'm like a little too all. Oh, in one. you didn't get me on this one. It, it just it negates the cosmic. It negates like so many origin stories. Right. It's just it just nah. So like sure. Um, okay. 
Okay. Okay. okay they okay. they reached they reached they Icarus, too far. They Icarus yeah. the shit out of that. <laughs> uh, so while I did read it, while I yeah. did go, huh. <laughs> it didn't last longer than this book okay <laughs> because it just because it definitely smells like the type of thing where it's like if you're going to make grand overarching statements on the metaphysics of state. the marvel universe and you're going to do it within a miniseries you yeah, know just a, a, side, a side story yeah that's there's no editorial weight behind this it's never going to stick yeah and what's funny is if this book came out <sighs> like three years ago uh-huh then my cynic take would be that they're trying to give us a reason to have Fantastic Four and X-Men involved in a storyline. Right. And it would be involved in exploring the God particle. So then Fox can go and make a movie (laughs) that actually use X-Men and Fantastic Four because those are (laughs) the most unrelated titles in all of marvel (laughs) it's so ridiculous short of like spider-man and and the guardians of the galaxy (laughs) it just doesn't check out but anyway yeah no god particle i'm not here for it i'm not it was close yeah it almost had me i was almost ready but i'm not here for it so a thing that stood out to me was this conversation kind of early on between xavier and reed when yes. Xavier's like, he is mutant, he is Krakoan. And Reed is like, sure, but legitimately, this probably would have happened on its own. Yeah. It probably would have taken its own natural course. Yeah. But you, Charles, yep. on yeah. a timetable, yeah. that is suspicious. Yes. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> oh my gosh. Specifically, he says, my son is almost a man. In a couple of years, he'd surely visit Krakoa on his own, maybe even for good. But you've got a timetable, and that's why I'm suspicious. Yeah. And like, that's that's everything. huge. Yeah. That's everything to me. It's that enormous. is yeah. literally the entire Dawn of X yes. story right now. Yes. And just and I'm just like, oh my gosh, I'm not the only one that sees it. <laughs> and someone actually in universe sees it. <laughs> yeah, totally. So like, I don't want that to be a throwaway line. Yeah. I want that to be something. And it's going to like, for the sake of like my childhood and growing up on 90s X-Men, I need Charles to be a good guy. <laughs> and <laughs> Don of X, Xavier is not a good guy. No. I want no. so bad. This has to build up to something to like separate the two. I am looking forward to the series of mind-blowing reveals that are certainly coming. Absolutely. One little side thing is the estimated population of Krakoa is, I guess, fucking 200,000. It's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. A lot 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 of of mutants. mutants. Yeah. Got another Uh, one here. Uh, Conversation between, I think it was Scott and Doom. Doom says, I understand the need for ambassadors, but your charter calls for diplomatic immunity for all Krakoans. Yeah. I didn't realize that it was that intense. Right. When you have, yeah. It's a huge ask. That is a huge ask. And I fucking, I love that they did tell this story where you have someone like Doom who has been the leader of a nation forever. Right. Yeah. And like you're now in telling this story, you've got the difference between an adversarial nation that's always been and a pretty adversarial nation that is brand new. Up and coming. Yep. But they both have the same like, Desires and weight. Yes. But one, they're just jumping right into it. Right. 
And you don't, you never see Doom asking for diplomatic immunity for his entire puppet. That's ridiculous. That is ridiculous. You also don't see Doom going to Davos and saying, I'm going to do this better than you. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah, it's just, oh my gosh, that was really powerful too. And and those conversations, the ones we've already talked about, are the reason why I liked this book. Yeah, totally. Like the story itself, meh. Yeah. But like these little two man conversations yeah. are, are just give it life for me. And, yeah. and that's why I'm so in it and I'm so here for it. I want this to not be a one-off other than the God particle. Yeah. It seems like once you've established that this is a conflict, this isn't going away. Sinister still wants to play with all of Omega mutant genes, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. Uh, I've, okay. Wolverine kills one of the Latvian mutants who's been dressed up as a Doombot in a mistaken sort of, you know, thinks he's busting a robot. But how much worse would it have been? You know, there's the whole like, oh, I tricked you into killing one of your own people, but the consequence is so much worse for killing a human. If that I know, had been, I was right? if only freaked. Doom knew. I was if only Doom knew. I was freaked out. I was like, oh, oh, Wolverine just killed a human. Oh my gosh. Can you, oh yeah. my gosh. Can you imagine? Yeah. But what a fucking masterful play. Right. He's only ever had doom bots. Like, what yeah. the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. So as the resident mutant guy. Sure. Has Kitty never done the heavy thing never. in 616? Never seen it. Wow. See, Brand new. So they did that in Ultimate. Oh, really? Yeah. And we have Kitty on the run and really kind of exploring her powers. Huh. And because it was defined as like density shifting. Right. She was like, what if I go the other way? Yeah. And and it just makes her super tired, but she can like punch through walls or punch wow. walls down <laughs> as opposed to going through. Right. Them. And so like, that's been a thing in the back of my head. And like, I thought that was just a kitty thing, but she's arguably never done it in 616 that I've seen it. Yeah. And so I wanted to check with you if that's ever been done for. No. Okay. Yeah. So good to know. But yeah. So I hope they keep that going yeah because again like i said that's something i've seen before and it was a really cool kind of thinking about new applications of her power and like totally how to find it and stuff so yeah that was cool. yeah next i have is <laughs> just that the giant doom bot sentinels are called latviathans yeah <laughs> you know i thought it was cute <laughs> Also, on a quick Googling, it turns out that Latviathan is a nickname for the Latvian seven foot three basketball player, Kristaps Przingis. So, uh, <laughs> shout out to KP. <laughs> oh, man. The only other thing I have is this conversation between Valeria and Doom at the end. Ooh. I love their relationship, yes. by the way. Me two absolutely i would argue that they established it in future foundation in hickman's mm-hmm. run yeah. of like she's super intelligent and she's going to go and talk to super intelligent people <laughs> and also they have a connection just by the con- circumstance of her birth right i don't know that one <laughs> um basically she was stillborn and then kind of resurrected in some weird fashion. I didn't ever read the actual comic. I've just read about this on the wiki, but it was like doom was instrumental in saving her life and, or, you know, 
bringing her back or whatever. And the only thing he asked of them in return is that he be allowed to name her. And he named her Valeria. Wow. Oh, cool. Yeah. That, oh, that's adorable. And so, yeah, she calls him uncle doom. Like, yeah. And that is the cutest thing ever. Yeah. (laughs) Like, Doom. <laughs> this is Victor Von Doom. <laughs> and we have someone in the universe calling him Uncle Doom. And it's just, yeah. it's, it warms my heart. Yeah. But anyway, so they have a little conversation and Val's just like, hey, I noticed something. You were uh, taking readings on like your Von Doom particles slash God particle and all this yeah. other stuff. Sup with that. And he basically says, I need to make sure that Laveria stands ready to embrace the next step in evolution. Yeah. And she's like, are you talking about mutants? And he says, no. Evolution is a response to environment. Common sense would dictate that it is our intelligence that must evolve, not yeah. our physical bodies. I believe you and I are examples of that. Valeria and Doom being two of the smartest freaking people. Ever. Right. Um, and this is such an unbelievably Doom way to respond to things. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Right. I believe you and I are examples of that, but the environment is not challenging enough now to spark that growth. So nature gave us mutants to galvanize the human race, to push us to be smarter, which is evolve. exactly the situation of the phalanx and the humans who are trying to transcend or outcompete mutants through technological means in House of X powers of 10 and the far future timeline there. Oh, my God. Yes. It's, just, it's so cool. And he yeah. says, and Doom intends to do just that. And she just, she like brushes them off almost. She's like, and I think you need to move on to acceptance and the stages of grief over the death of humans <laughs> by Uncle Doom. It's dinner time. But like, oh yeah. my gosh. Oh my gosh. Just, yes. Yeah. That's such a cool perspective. <laughs> yes. Oh man. It's just, it's, it's, uh, dude, it's only ever a read or a doom that comes up with these like evolutionary natural grants, responses and grants, natural yeah descriptions or reasons behind the like non the superheroes that aren't the mutants basically yeah grand statements on superhero metaphysics and the philosophy that can undergird it yeah god so cool last thing on this and then i'm really excited to talk about noman that final scene between Reed and Charles. Yeah. Where, so I mentioned this in the plot recap, Charles erases Reed's memory of how to make the mutant blocker gene, calls it an affront to mutant civil rights and mutant kind. But he says, when I was younger and more full of hubris, I would have also erased your memory of this entire conversation. I don't want to do that this time. I want to keep your memory of this around so that you'll know that this is an unacceptable thing and that mutant kind won't stand for this. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I thought that was awesome. Yeah. I want you to remember, this is not a game to us. This is our right to survive. Yeah. Oh man. Just in this series, Magneto and Charles have told Reed that he's becoming an enemy. Yeah. They've told Doom that he is becoming an enemy yeah. of Krakoa. Yeah. And like of all the people on earth <laughs> that could do something if they set their mind to it, mm-hmm. you don't fuck with Reed and Doom. Can no. you imagine if the two of them agreed that they needed to handle Krakoa? It would happen very quickly. 
Oh my sweet Christmas. We didn't even talk about Fantastic Four infiltrating Krakoa just yeah. on a whim because they thought Franklin was there. Right. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh, I'm just, it was some really the good moments stuff. were so good. Yes. The moments were so good. Oh man. I'm, and I'm really glad we read it. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Um, it, it's it it's was felt like book. an important part of Don of X. Yes. Even if it doesn't, didn't go directly into the Don of X titles. Yeah. Nomon? Nomon. Tell me about it. Okay. So this is uh, written by an author named Nick Harkaway. He's British. This is his third novel. He's the son of a spy novelist named John Le Carre, who is famous for uh, like the spy who came in for the cold and Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. And so it's it's a it's hard to say very succinctly what it's about. It's about a near future society and a woman who dies under psychic interrogation and mm. the inspector who is going through to find sort of the the truth of what she knew and why she died and investigate the mysterious circumstances around it. And in so doing encounters a series of fictional characters because the, the woman who died was a novelist and there's a larger mystery at play that has something to do with the nature and the hidden origin of the technology that enables the society that they live in. Hmm. I Really recommend it to anybody listening. I'm only going to go through the first chapter today. I might not even make it all the way through the first chapter. So if any of this sounds interesting, go order it right now. Read it along with me. I'll give notes. You know, uh, I'll be doing these one per chapter. This book is dense with symbols and meaning. And I can only offer my own sort of interpretation of things. But, you know, there's just a lot of things that have like just eidetic interconnections in in a way that sort of mimics the pattern of the brain making connections with other things. You know, Mm. there's just like symbols and links and meanings that you're not quite sure, at least at this stage, like I said, I haven't finished the whole book, what it all means that they're interconnected, but it's just like dense with these sort of cross paths and references. So it starts with uh, an epigraph a quote from Ryzard Kapuscinski, and I'm certain I'm mispronouncing this. He's a uh, Polish author who wrote a lot of books about revolutions. They were nonfiction books but and journalistic books, but they strayed into magical realism at times. Um, that's what I learned from Wikipedia. And the quote, <laughs> I'm leaning on a lot of Wikipedia here. The quote is, When the first question was asked in a direction opposite to the customary one, it was a signal that the revolution had begun. So interesting things there, direction opposite to the customary one and revolutions. Also, it's pulled from a book about Ethiopian emperor Haile Selassie and the end of his regime. And that'll come up later. Epigraph number two. Before the book starts, there is uh, something that seems to be some sort of code. It says DCAC colon forward slash, and then a series of numbers, four digits, space, four digits, space, Mm. four digits. And it's a grid of seven by seven of these. I don't know what it means yet. It is, according to the author via Twitter, it's a puzzle. It's been solved by a few readers and by the end of 
this series on Nomon, I'd like to go and try and solve it, but I haven't, I haven't started on it yet. So with that out of the way, let's start the book. <laughs> the first chapter is called My Mind on the Screen. So I'm just going to read the first couple paragraphs because it gives a, a sense of like the tone of the book. The death of a suspect in custody, says Inspector Neath of The Witness, is a very serious matter. There's no one at The Witness program who does not feel a sense of personal failure this morning. She is looking straight into the camera and her sincerity is palpable. A dozen different mood assessment softwares examine the muscles around her mouth and eyes. Her micro expressions verify her words. As a matter of course, the more sophisticated algorithms check for the telltale marks of Botox and bioelectric stimulators that might allow her to fake that painful honesty. But no one really expects to find anything and no one does. Polling data streams across the screen. 89% believe the witness was not at fault. Of the remainder of the population, the overwhelming majority believes that any culpability will turn out to be negligent rather than designed. Neath's own figures are even better. She has been called in to investigate the matter precisely because her personal probity is the highest ever measured. All but the most corrosively paranoid of the focus groups accepts her in good faith. It is a very good showing, even granting that the witness has a consistently high approval anyway. All the same, the discussion of Diana Hunter continues in the public sphere, as it should, until eclipsed by the next of killings. So there's a lot of weird stuff here. Yeah, um, okay. So let's. So we're in a trial. <laughs> we're, this is more of like a press conference, a public statement to okay. the public, the internet at large. So. It takes place in a near future United Kingdom where there is perfect surveillance or very close to perfect surveillance. Millions upon millions of cameras and microphones and other sensors of various types of data that feed into a central AI that is, you know, the sort of benign machine learning algorithm of like, let's just take all of this and, and extrapolate patterns and you know, see where it ends up. Everything's run by a very direct democracy system. Is, and it, so the government is called the system with a capital S and citizens vote and participate in matters large and small from, you know, applications for business permits, criminal matters, intellectual property, all the way up to reviewing a person like her. She is an inspector. She's police for the witness. And the witness is the surveillance system. It has inspectors because basically to, to reinforce the fact, it, it's not that anyone believes that the witness is capable of making mistakes. It's more, and I have a quote on this later, it's more that to reinforce the fact that the witness works for the people rather than the other way around. Um, so at the end, you know, as sort of a verifier, as a ombudsman, humans are sort of the last line of checking things out. And it's, you know, a rare thing for an inspector to be involved because most instances of crime or even disagreement or antisocial anything are kind of headed off by peremptory measures. Most people have the witness speaking directly to them basically console in eyeglasses or something that is able to give constant, you know, feedback, talk to them, et cetera. And so it's a, uh, yeah, a system of, of total surveillance, but without a hierarchy, if that makes sense. 
So the next thing that this is establishing is this main character, Mialiki Neith. It's a real mouthful. She, like I said, she is easier um, to read than to yeah, converse M- about. M-I-E-L-I-K-K-I-N-E-I-T-H. Her first name, Miliki, is a Finnish goddess of forests and the hunt, a skillful healer who heals the paws of animals who have escaped traps. Uh, again, I'm leaning entirely on Wikipedia for these. Neith is also the name of a goddess, an early ancient Egyptian deity, because, you know, Egypt there was a civilization that lasted 10,000 years. The cosmology and the mythology changed greatly from beginning to end. She's nicknamed as the terrifying one or one who opens all pathways, goddess of cosmos, fate, wisdom, water, rivers, mother, childbirth, hunting, weaving, and war often is depicted wielding a harpoon or a bow and arrow. Because she's so ancient, she's had many roles, which makes it much harder for me to pin down the significance of her name. So, yeah. So Uh, do you feel that there will be or already has been significance to the naming of her, of this character? Yes. Okay. Yeah. As far as Uh, like the God, the goddesses that she's named after. mm -hmm. And specifically that they're both goddesses of hunting because the woman who died in custody is named Diana Hunter. Diana is also a goddess of the hunt, the Roman equivalent of Artemis goddess of hunt and the moon and so on. So it's really drawing a connection between these two characters, which is reinforced in a few other ways in this chapter, but strangely enough, not at all in what I've read throughout the rest of the book so far. Hmm. So a few more notes on Neith. She kind of has the, like the one good cop. I always make fun of this trope within like cop fiction of like, (laughs) oh yeah, all of this stuff is corrupt and dirty, but we've got the one good cop on the case, you know? And so she kind of exhibits it like a bland competence, which feels like a conscious choice. Like she's a reflection of the system and kind of like a perfect subject of this uh, society. And her narration is always like, you know, pro witness, pro system. Like, mm. so she is assigned to this case investigating the death of Diana Hunter. The case is randomly assigned from a list by the witness. Uh, the case is assigned the code name Nomon, the title of the book. She goes through the definitions of the word Nomon. It's an early geometer's tool for marking right angles, a set square made of metal, something perpendicular to everything else. Remember from the epigraph. The first first thought. Yep. And it's specifically the upright part of a sundial, the part that casts a shadow or tells time. And the literal translation from Wikipedia is one who knows or examines. So Neith, the way that it works for her investigation. So Diana Hunter was brought in by the system, by the witness, flagged as an antisocial person for whatever reason, just you know, non-compliance, hiding things from the witness. So she's brought in for an interrogation, just to be like, hey, what's up with you? You're not really a criminal. Tell us what you know. Over the course of this, she dies in interrogation, which is unheard of. And so Neith is in there to see what went wrong. And part of doing that, she downloads Diana's memories of the interrogation and really her entire self into her brain. This is standard operating procedure. They have all the technologies and so on, and it unfolds while she sleeps. So there's kind of like this compressed personhood that they they say like origami or um, like lotus tea unfolds 
while she's sleeping. So yeah, she wasn't like a high value interview. She wasn't like suspected of being like a terrorist or, or somebody who might actually cause a problem or a foreign agent or something like that. It's also odd that her memories are structured, narrative, prosaic. They display themselves in font and in, in words in sequence, which makes sense if she was a novelist. For most people, the memories are just a big raw mess. And mm-hmm. so early questioning, was she a terrorist? Seems extremely unlikely. So we began the, the psychic playback of her memories and we get this sort of feel for her voice and her character. Just a quote here. This is not okay. I do not consent. I do not consider the intrusion legitimate. I do not accept the argument that this is in the interest of the nation as a whole, nor that if it were in the nation's interest, that that would make what is happening to me acceptable. Blah, 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 blah. If I get the chance, I'll hurt you for what you're doing, hurt you badly. This is my head and you should not be in it. The technician who tried to tell me about the brain scan reads that and he stops trying to be Mr. Nice. I've given him excuse to think of me as an enemy. Beneath the floppy hair, he has a fat face and he sweats too much. In fact, he stinks. I can see his uh, hair in his nose. I'm reasonably sure he's an ungenerous lover. I hope his wife is unfaithful to him with derelicts and that she brings home diseases for which there are no names. I hope his dog dies. I know he has a dog because I can see the hair on his trouser cuff and I recognize the mud. The precise constitution of that mud is a signature. The clay and red earth and the hint of gravel occurs in three places in London, but in only one of them will you find the seeds that cling to his sock. Like Sherlock Holmes, I can read the evidence and infer from the reality of the present map of the past. And now I know where he walks his dog. Parentheses. I don't really. It's mud, you moron. But for a moment there, he was scared. And that's a win. I'll take it. And by the way, this whole thing is projected on screens around her. So he can read this and he's reacting to her. He's he is reading this and and, and she's doing this just to fuck with him. Wow. For a moment, he was scared. And that's a win. I'll take it. You hear me, you miserable bastard. I beat you. From this table to which I'm tied, that's how pathetic you are. You are small and pathetic and gullible, and you are beneath my notice, which will not stop me from doing terrible things to you. Parentheses. I actually will. (laughs) So that's, you know, cantankerous, ornery, sarcastic old woman. She's she insists repeatedly, though, uh, all of her statements. She says, I am a woman in the prime of my life. She's probably, you know, 60s, 70s, something like that. Like I said, she's an author. She wrote books with the following titles, The Talking Knot, Mr. Murder Investigates, The Mad Cartographer's Garden, Five Cardinals of Z, five ends up being a very key number throughout this book, and <laughs> and Queriendo Invenietis, which is Latin for Seek and You Shall Find. It's an allusion to Jesus's Sermon on the Mount, and another thing that I'll mention in more detail at some point. She's Described as an eccentric, perhaps, but also an organized, even painstaking person in areas that attracted her interest. She believes that she's been flagged as an antisocial person because she reads books that don't speak to you, that she teaches other people to read, uh, that she's set up her entire house as a Faraday cage with no intrusion or connection to the witness that she used to believe in all these creature comforts, but over time she's, you know, cut them all out of her life. Um, So she is like, she's the best one of the best interrogators. Neathis. Yes. Yeah. And she lives disconnected. No, from... no, no. This is Hunter. Hunter, Hunter lives. In... Hunter lives disconnected from the witness. Yeah. Th- okay. This was all Hunter's personality that I've been reading. Uh, 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 gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
Neith doesn't have much of a personality. Hunter is overflowing with it. Okay. And uh, it kind of makes mention of the fact that after the interrogation, technicians will fix any number of physical and mental health problems within the person's brain as an example of like difference between these two characters and their level of trust in the witness. Nia mentions that, you know, the process is so beneficial that she's considered it for herself. Just, you know, go in and, and kind of pre-screen for any sort of physical and mental illnesses and so on, and just sort of write out. Diana calls it being hollowed out like a pumpkin and left with a fake pumpkin smile. The last thing, <laughs> because all of her memories and her mind is being displayed on these screens around her, again, it may end up being it's another point of connection on all of the walls around her. She says, I think you shall not have my mind. It comes up on the screen in sans serif font. So within the book, everything that is her memories, everything that's played out from her brain and her narration, as well as all the other sub-character narration, which I'll get into in later chapters, those are all in sans serif font. All of the Neith chapters are in a serif font. Cool. Okay. After the psychic playback, Neith goes through some post-transference checks to make sure she's not dreaming and in sync with her own body, with her own mind. She reads poetry out loud. She throws a ball into the air and she tests light switches, all sorts of things that don't function correctly in a dream. Uh, then she does her voting for the day, kind of like I was mentioning what the system is, her system voting. And um, uh, the big issue is this thing called the monitoring bill. Only one contentious issue is under consideration, the monitoring bill, and is one on which Neith feels quite strongly. This robustness is something she has in common with the rest of the population, though not everyone's opinion is in line with hers. Democracy in action is very annoying. Several months ago, taking into account the likely advances in technology over the next decade, the system posed the question of whether it was appropriate to install a permanent remote access in the skull of a recidivist or compulsive criminal. This is now culminated in a draft bill being put before the polity. The points against permanent implanted monitoring are compelling. It is considerable, conceptual, and legal step to go from external surveillance to the direct constant observation of the brain. It preempts a future crime rather than preventing crime in progress. And this involves prejudging the subject, yada, yada, yada. Worried that the technology will spread to other uses and the consequences of those uses should also be considered. But, and finally, this entails the possibility of real-time correction of recidivist brain function and that this is arguably a form of mind control ethically repellent to many. There is an instinctual argument with respectable intellectual backing that the system and witness should monitor the external world only and the boundary of the body should be respected until there is specific reason to do otherwise, as in a non-consensual interview. Even then, such interference should be as brief as possible and proportionate. On the other hand, the technology has the potential to allow those with, for example, certain forms of mental Ill severe mental illness to re-enter society with a certain knowledge that they will not hurt anyone, which could be immensely therapeutic. There is a moral dimension too, which the inspector finds compelling. As a matter of societal identity, the system is supposed to provide the best combination of personal security and personal freedom. And there's an argument that this achieves that by allowing the constitutionally violent access to the world without compromising the safety of the majority. It says overall, sensible liberal opinion favors a compromise, limited pilot program in which technology is used uh, voluntarily in combination with robust technological and legal safeguards. That's where she mistrusts the idea and concept, but respects the medical use case. 
She suspects that general adoption of the implant technology is a sort of societal and commercial inevitability. The advantages of having permanent access to the system are many, and public morality follows the trend of public desires. Still, due scrutiny is healthy. She registers opinion firmly against widespread use, but in favor of a medical test program and signs off, and the majority is with her. So that's kind of an overarching political plot to the rest of it. I think I'll wrap it there. That's only the first half of the first chapter. <laughs> so tense. But yeah. The, How this long is, are the chapters? Usually they're, they're like 20 to 40 pages. This one was 45, 50, something like, yeah, 50 pages. Okay. But yeah, let's end that here. And as we haven't even really jumped into the main plot yet. Um, <laughs> yeah. So this is just kind of establishing character the, the, setting the, the type of the characters the and, world and the in. world that we're in yeah yeah okay and uh yeah the the plot kind of picks up immediately after that so i'll do the rest of chapter one next time anything else you want to say or or do before we head on out no i am i'm kind of intrigued i got some vibes of like did you watch altered carbon no no netflix okay there's two seasons we didn't watch the second season yet but as far as like world building yeah felt like there was a couple of similarities but so from your perspective wild from here yeah this is like (laughs) the first stage of scaffolding like it really feels like it doesn't get into like establish what the primary conflict of the novel is going to be or like the philosophical like the first like 300 pages are like philosophical scaffolding to get to the point where we have to dig so deep to put a pin in like this philosophical quandary of what's actually at stake here. That's interesting. And I, like, I can't even imagine the mind of this author. Totally. To yeah. even like organize it to a point where he wants to tell a story revolving yeah. around it. <laughs> yeah. That's impressive. So what's up for Empire? Are we reading dawn issues of empire next week or is that a little further down the line that'll be so since we're filming late here and then yeah. we're back on a regular schedule for filming yeah. on this next one i'm going to finish outlawed and read road to empire and empire sounds and great then, so the next week okay we'll be doing all the side empire stories including dawn 13 and 14 Excellent. Sounds great, uh, man. So I guess the, the question is, do you want to read Dawn 13, 14 or just the Empire X-Men books? Either is good for me. I don't know. Yeah, uh, you have an individual. Yeah, thing. it's if going ahead on Dawn is going to dilute your experience of Empire, I'm happy to just read the Empire parts and circle back on the rest whenever so it's good for you. maybe just the Empire issues. There's only four. So we'll read those. We'll keep Dawn 13, 14 saved for 15 and 16. And we'll do the, Sweet. Like, a four, four volume. And then it's going to be X of Swords. Then there's Reign of X. And then there's Hellfire Gala, which yeah. is a thing. Yeah. And then there's like one other event that like encompasses the of X. Uh, so events, events and crazy. crossovers galore on the yeah. horizon. We've got yes. Empire next week. We've Empire got next Nomon, week. some great stuff. Yeah, Empire and Nomon next week. Should be good. All right. Um, you want to yeah, take us so- home? I will see you in a few days and until then, take care and we'll put the outro music here. Good stuff, man. (laughs) Have you listened Uh, to the outro music? It sounds nothing like that. (laughs) It's... (laughs) 
I've heard it like twice. Okay. Oh, good. <laughs> All right. Take care. Pleasure talking to you. Yeah. Take Ciao. it easy. <laughs>